Scripture reading for today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. And we thank you that you are a good, good father. And so we ask uh, that you would make your name glorious here in our lives, uh, in our hearts. uh, That your kingdom would, would come, your will would be done. And that you would provide for our every need, uh, forgiving our sins, helping us forgive others, and deliver us uh, from temptation. So, Lord, we ask these things and pray that you would take the crumbs of this sermon and make a feast for your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Some of you may remember uh, a book that was written about 15 years ago. I think it was around 2006 or so. And the title of the book was The Secret. Anybody remember this? By Rhonda Byrne. And uh, this book stayed on the bestseller list for 146 weeks. So for the mathematically inclined, that's almost three years. And the thesis of this book was very simple. The thesis of this book was, if you want to live a rich and full life, what you need to do is you need to organize your interior life, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, And you present them to the universe. And if you do that well, the universe will return good things to you. 146 weeks on the bestseller list. Now, This is one of my father-in-law's favorite books, by the way. He used to talk to me all the time about the secret. But thankfully, we have moved on from the secret. And many of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But you know what we haven't moved on from is what to do with our interior life which is often wild and chaotic. And so new things and old things that are now fresh and new have entered in. And the focus on mindfulness and on meditation and on all sorts of techniques and a variety of practices. And we're all trying to figure out what to do with the stuff that's inside of us. Because deep down, there is a longing for someone to witness Or something to hear what's going on inside. And not just to hear, but to care. And not just to care, but to have the ability to do something about it. And that leads us to the topic uh, that we're going to be looking at, not only this morning, but throughout the season of Lent. And that is the topic of prayer. And the moment you say the word prayer uh, in a church environment, or really anywhere, uh, things start getting complicated. Because some of you right now are being overwhelmed by feelings of incredible guilt. I don't do this enough. I don't, I don't know if I, if I do it well. Uh, I've tried to start praying regularly and I just can't keep it up. Or I've never been able to figure out like how to do this thing. Others of you, it's not so much guilt, it's more frustration. You're like, how does this work? What, is it, what does it even do? 
And, and, and when should I do it? Where should I do it? And does praying count when I do it while I'm driving in the car, right? You're frustrated. You want some answers to these questions. And I would even go so far as to say that very few of us actually feel good at prayer. And many of us wonder if prayer does any good at all. And what I want to do for just a moment is I want to try to demystify what prayer is. And what I want to say is this, prayer is talking to God. And it's really, really important because we all know that communication is the means of relationship. But prayer for the Christian is situated in a certain context. And that is, it is our talking to God in response to what he has revealed of himself. We're not the first to the scene. He speaks first and we speak responsively. Now, I have conversations from time to time with people and uh, they say, I just don't feel close to God. And maybe you're feeling that right now. I've certainly felt that way in my life on many occasions. And the first question we should probably ask when we're feeling that way is, have y'all been talking Have y'all been talking, you and God? You've been talking to him about this. Have you been going to the places where he says he would meet you? See, do you know what the scriptures are? They're where God reveals himself. He gives us his words. He tells us his story. He shows us what he wants to talk to us about. And if you're not listening, of course, you're not going to feel close to him. And the other side of this is prayer. Are you talking to God? Am I talking to God in response to what he has said? It's really, really vital because communication is the means of relationship. Can you enjoy a relationship with someone that you're not revealing yourself to? Yeah, I know God already knows everything, but he invites us to open up to him, to disclose our hearts, to reveal our interior lives. And can you enjoy a relationship with someone when you're ignoring what they have revealed about themselves? See, the two go together. And prayer becomes really, really important because not only is it the means of relationship, it is supposed to characterize the people of God. Uh, John Calvin said that, Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And maybe an overly simplistic way of saying this is one of the primary and most significant indications that you know God is that you relate to him through prayer. So now that we're all like, oh gosh, I feel terrible. um, We're going to spend the whole season of Lent talking about prayer and we're going to spend All that time talking to my prayer by looking at one prayer that we find in the Bible. And that is a prayer that we sung this morning and we just heard read. And it is called the Lord's Prayer. Now, why are we going to do this? Well, um, there's several reasons for it. One is if you look at the history of the Christian church, what you find is the Lord's Prayer has played a central role in shaping God's people's prayer life. You go back to the early church, there's a document called the Didache. It means the teaching. And in the Didache, they recommended to the early Christians that they pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. 
If you go into the medieval church and the Reformation church and you look at the confessions and the catechisms that were written to instruct God's people, you know what they always include? The Lord's Prayer to form and shape God's people in their life of prayer. If you go across the world and look at where Christianity has made its way in virtually every language and culture that you find it, you're going to find people praying the Lord's Prayer. And here's why. Because it's how Jesus taught us to pray. You know, if you've ever wished that Jesus would have answered the question, how should I pray? I've got some very good news for you this morning. He does. (laughs) It's right here. Pray like this. And it comes on the heels uh, as Jesus is doing his famous Sermon on the Mount. He's actually talked to his disciples about how not to pray. He says, prayer isn't about impressing others. So don't think this is this big show you put on for other people. Nor is prayer about manipulating God. Just piling up pious phrases to try to bend God's will to yours. And then, of course, the disciples are like, how then should we pray? And he says, pray like this. And this does something really, really important for us. It begins to free us from the anxiety that we all feel of, should I be praying about this? Am I supposed to pray in this way? Are these things, things I can ask God for? Jesus spells it out. And what he gives us is a model or a template that we can follow. Now, I've got so much to say, but like we've got six weeks here and I can't, you know, we got to like hold it back. So we're like pulling it all back behind the dam. But I want to focus on just two things this morning that Jesus highlights and puts in the foreground. And that is the who of prayer, who we're praying to and the what what we're praying for. And this is important because when you know the who and the what, the how and the when and the where, they just start to fall into place. And you begin to realize that the who and the what are so much more important. So let's talk first about the who, who we are praying to. And you may have noticed that the first word in this prayer, as we find in our English text, is our. But the first word in the Greek text is father. The God who made heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who parted the Red Sea to deliver the Israelites, the God who gave the Ten Commandments, the God who dwelt in the glory cloud in the tabernacle, Jesus tells us to call him father. And you know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, you'll find about 15 places where God's relationship with Israel is described as a father to a son. The the first of which is when he sends Moses to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He says, Israel is my firstborn son. And you know how they would have understood that? We're not just slaves. We are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. Father. But about 15 times. And it's almost like these are placeholders awaiting Some great moment and where the fullness of it could be disclosed. And that fullness is in the revelation of the son. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, by the time you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's 65 times. And when you get through the gospel of John, it's 170 times. And then you read the rest of the New Testament. Father, the fatherhood of God comes into the foreground. Because to understand the fatherhood of God required the revelation of the son. 
Now, this is why this is important for us. Your prayer life and mine directly correlates with what we think about God. Is he stingy and harsh? Is he grouchy and irritable? Is he annoyed by your interruptions? Is he put off by your presence? Like, like he's, you're coming in prayer and he's like, oh, now you want to talk to me. I haven't heard from you in a while, right? No, 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 no. God is a loving father. The one we pray to is already cupping his ear in our direction. And it's not because he's hard of hearing. And he's not hard of heart. He is one who hears and cares. Calvin also said that we do not pray rightly unless we are surely convinced in our hearts that he is our father. How different would our prayer life be if we really believed that the one who rules heaven and earth is our father? But here lies some trouble for many of us, doesn't it? Because father is like a trigger word. It carries a ton of emotional baggage. Some of us have had very lousy dads. Some of us have had abusive dads. Some of us have had emotionally distant dads. Some of us have had no real dad at all in our lives. And in fact, like this is so uh, ubiquitous that the phrase father wounds and daddy issues, they're, they're classified as normal developmental trauma, according to some experts in the field. You feel that, that, that sense that you feel like he's always furious at you for your failures or that you wonder if he even likes you and you project that onto God. Yeah, why would you pray if that's who you thought you were talking to? But by the way, this, it's not like all this started in the 21st century. Like we had a great string of dads and then 21st century came and like, oh, all the dads like wigged out. I mean, the word father was just as emotionally charged in the first century and maybe even more so. Because cruelty and domination were quite commonplace and even approved of. And the father metaphor actually carried some political weight. People in the Roman Empire, for example, were taught to refer to Caesar as father. The one who ruled over them harshly. And you know what? You just, you can't get away from the baggage. All the words that God uses to reveal himself have baggage to them that needs to be cleared away. He's a king, but unlike the human kings who've been cruel and tyrannical. He's a shepherd, but unlike those nasty scoundrels that many of them turned out to be. And he's a father, but unlike that lousy or absent or abusive dad that many of us have experienced. Did you know you can actually talk to God about this? You can actually say, God, you know how hard it is for me to call you father. You know my history. You know my baggage. You know my story. But your son tells me to speak to you this way. Will you help me understand all that this means? See, the answer to a bad father is not no father at all, but a good father. And God is a good, good father. When we listen to what he has revealed of himself, we see that he is compassionate and that he is patient and that he is gentle and he is tender. That he doesn't lose his temper or fly off the handle. He's described as slow to anger. He doesn't get bored and check his phone while you're talking to him. 
He's interested in his presence because he's a good, good father. And when your starting point is God's fatherly goodness, that doesn't mean you can't be honest. But what it does mean is that you, it keeps you from judging God on the basis of your circumstances. You know how this goes with us? Normally we're like, here's what I know to be true. Life is terrible and now I'm going to draw terrible conclusions about God on the basis of that. And Jesus says, back that up. Put that in reverse. Here's what I know to be true. God is a good father. And now I'm going to begin to process the terrible circumstances and what's going on inside of me in light of that. In other words, you begin to stop judging God by your circumstances and you start judging your circumstances in light of your father's love. God has a father's heart for you. He has a father's care for you. He has a father's concern for you. He has a father's love for you. Jesus says, when you pray, begin our father. But he also says, our father in heaven. And as the creed puts it, he is God, the father almighty, the sovereign one over all things on the throne of the entire universe is a father, but he's on the throne. And this is where I think some of us get a little tripped up because when we hear in heaven, what we think is in a galaxy far, far away. Right? And, and it's like, it's as if our father is, you know, off somewhere in some distant land, hidden away. The James Webb telescope hasn't located him yet. And we're out here yelling, hello, 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 father, you know, can you hear me? And that's not at all what Jesus means by that phrase. In fact, just a little earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 34 to 35, he describes heaven as God's throne. And this is the way a first century Jew understood it. It's the unseen spiritual realm, the other side of the coin of the seen. Veiled, but always present. And what Jesus is teaching us to understand about God is because he is in heaven, and that's not an address that you find on your Google map, He is nearer to you than you could possibly imagine. He is in orphanages and jail cells and neonatal care units. He is close to the person with suicidal ideation. He is near those who live in luxury high-rise apartments. He is with those who dwell in the halls of Congress. He is right beside anyone and everyone who cries out to him. He's our father in heaven. Prayer is opening up your life in the presence of the Father who rules over all creation. There is one who hears. There is one who cares. There is one who could do something about our distress. But what should we pray to him? And that takes us to the second thing I want us to look at this morning. The what. Um, the great theologian Augustine said, if you run through the petitions of all holy prayers, I'm not sure how he was classifying or like if those are all in a book or something like, but he said, if you look at all the holy prayers out there, I believe you will find nothing that is not summed up and contained in the Lord's prayer. It's a model. It's a template. And we find that all the things that we want to say can be fit in here. And they can actually be shaped in a certain way. 
And I want to make a few observations about this because we got we to gotta stay at the 20,000 foot level or 30,000 foot level uh, this morning. And I'm going to be riffing off uh, the thoughts of a guy named Daryl Johnson who wrote a book, 57 Words That Changed the World. It's about the Lord's Prayer. And uh, Johnson, uh, he directs our attention to a few things about this prayer. Consider the scope of it. It covers all of life. The physical, the spiritual, the relational. You get daily bread. Right? You get forgiveness of sins, deliverance from temptation. You get forgiving others. You get our relationship with who God is. We also get past, present, and future. Forgive us our debts. Right? Provide for our needs. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Bring your glorious future into the present, O Lord. Right? It's almost like there is nothing too big and there is nothing too small that we can't pray for it. Its scope is vast. It's humongous. And then think about the verbs that are used. They're all in the imperative mood, which is the mood of command. Which is really astonishing because in the first century world, an inferior would never speak to a superior this way. And here it is, Jesus giving us verbs of command to give to God. Now, let me be clear. This is not inviting us to order God around. It doesn't work like that. But there is a boldness. There is an earnestness. There is a scrappiness that is audacious here. It is crying out to God to do what only he can do. God, only you can bring your kingdom. Only you can make your will done on earth as it is in heaven. God, only you can give us what we need every day. Only you can forgive sins. Only you can enable us to forgive others. Only you can guard us from temptation. Do it, God. Do it. And then, of course, the center of the prayer, and this prayer is the center of Jesus' teaching, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the center of the prayer is on earth as it is in heaven. God, tear through that veil. Bring your rule and reign for the healing of the world. And then finally, the flow of the prayer. If you notice, it's all your, your, your in the beginning And then it's us, us, us. And I want to take a few moments to think about that. When you look at how it begins, this prayer begins with God's name, not ours. Hallowed be your name. It begins with his kingdom, not ours. Your kingdom come. It begins with his will, not ours. Your will be done. And all of it on earth as it is in heaven. And here's why I think this is important for us. Our tendency is to make prayer all about us. And our needs matter to be sure. But our needs need to be placed in a bigger story than ourselves. And this is vital if we're going to understand prayer. Because often we come to God with our grocery list, right? Here's a list of things I want from you. Um, what you're going to do and how fast you're going to do it. Tell me. And we get frustrated because we're like, I've been praying for two months, right? Never mind that there are people who prayed for 53 years. You know, we're like, two months? That's too much. Got to stop. Can't keep asking. But first and foremost, Jesus is teaching us that prayer is about the name of God honored, the will of God done in our world and in our hearts. 
And we're going to discover as we look at this prayer over the course of the next weeks, that that is actually our most fundamental need. Now, look, I don't think what Jesus is saying is, guys, look, if you're going to pray, you're going to need a really long wind up before you ask for anything for yourself. Because that would be trying to manipulate God. I think what he's signaling is this. Prayer is not bending God's plan to our desires. Prayer is bending our desires to God's plan. It's communication with him in response to what he's revealed. And it's the means of relationship by which we are formed and shaped. You know, I think when we forget this, prayer becomes a big disappointment. And not just a disappointment, but it actually becomes boring. It's a bore. But when we begin to align our hearts with God's, there is no end to the things that we end up praying about. We pray about broken marriages. We pray about hungry children. We pray about enslaving addictions. We pray about struggling parents. We pray about lonely souls. We pray about fractured relationships. And what we pray is, your kingdom come, O Lord, your will be done. Forgive us. Help us forgive others. You know what we're doing? We're asking God to impose his order on the disorder of the world. We're saying, God, would you restore this world? Would you restore my heart to its proper order and beauty? And would you show me how to be a part of that? It's not that you shouldn't pray for your own needs. Jesus tells us to pray for provision and to pray for pardon and pray for protection. And that that covers it, right? But it's that your needs and mine need to be seen in light of his kingdom. Jesus gives us this template. It's a model. It's a pattern for praying. And you don't have to say it word for word, but you can. And you don't have to go in this order every time, but you can. But what you need to do and what I need to do is internalize this prayer if for no other reason than this. If you pray like this, you can know that your prayers are hurt because Jesus told you to ask for these things. What is the hardest part about praying for us? We have a lot of things, right? I'm, t- I'm so busy, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bitter. I'm, I've got work to do. I've got blah, 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 right? You know what actually the hardest part is? It's the same thing that's hard about diet and exercise. Getting started. <laughs> right? It's, it's, once you put on the workout clothes, you know we're doing this today. Right? But getting those clothes on, man, that choice, it's so hard sometimes. You know? The hardest part about prayer is getting started. And one of the things that I think we say to ourselves, and especially if you're a new Christian, or maybe you're just about to become a Christian, you're saying, I don't know what to say. I'm not any good at this. And, you know, leaving aside for a moment whether prayer, like everything else in our life, needs to be evaluated on, like, if you're not excellent at it, it's not worth doing, right? You know, what makes it good? Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. In fact, the old adage is that if you want to be good at anything, you have to be willing to be really bad at it first. 
That's true for learning the piano, for CrossFit, for skiing, for learning to read. And then it is so true for the violin. Because one of the worst sounds on planet Earth is a second grader trying to learn to play the violin. If you want to be good at anything, you've got to be willing to be bad at it first. And here's the thing. you just got to be willing to groan. The Holy Spirit is a groan translator. And no matter where you are in your feelings of faith right now, one of the sweetest prayers in Scripture is the man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You can even bring your unbelief to your Father in heaven. Or maybe you don't feel like you can pray because you just haven't done it in so long. You don't feel like you're the right kind of person. And you you know that feeling when you're going to ask somebody for a big favor and uh, you haven't kept up a relationship with them? Like you need a 5 a.m. airport ride. And you're like, hey, we should hang out sometime. How's it going? You know, you want to take me to the airport at 5 a.m.? But you decide not to because you know, oh my gosh, this is terrible. My track record as a friend, my faithfulness, it doesn't grant me the right to ask. But that is not how it works with God. He doesn't relate to you on the basis of your performance or your faithfulness. He actually relates to you, as we will see, on the basis of the performance and faithfulness of his son, Jesus. Some of y'all are really good networkers out there. And you know what networking is? It's basically trading on someone else's social capital. And that is why when you read the New Testament, you find the phrase over and over again after Jesus' death and resurrection, in Christ, in Christ. A Christian is one who is in Christ. We come to know God in Christ Which means all the social capital we lack with the Father, Jesus has. And that means no matter how long it's been since you've talked to him, he would love to hear from you today. You cannot expect to experience God if you're not going to God in prayer. Going to God in prayer does not make you acceptable to him. Jesus does. But prayer is when you begin to experience and enjoy your acceptance. And you know, prayer really does change things because God has ordained not only the ends, but the means, just like he uses rain to make crops grow and sun, you know, to warm the earth. He uses prayers in his economy of salvation. And sometimes he doesn't give until we ask because what he's about is the relationship with us. Coming to understand who he is and what he wants for the world. So the thing that prayer changes the most is us. We begin to be shaped into people who know the Father's love so that we can be about the Father's business in the world. You know, I've mentioned before that almost every night I pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, with my seven-year-old daughter, Averly. And I do it because I want it to shape her understanding of who God is and how she can talk to him. But you know what I find? I find it shaping me. That my prayers are changing. As I'm reflecting on this. As this is getting in me. And it's because when you know the who and the what. The how and the when and the where. They just start to fall into place. Pray at any time. Pray anywhere. Right? Any position you like. But pray for God's kingdom to come. And for God to tend to your needs. Knowing 
that he is your father in heaven. So maybe here's a little suggestion for us. Throughout this season of Lent, and maybe you're not into celebrating Lent, that's fine, but, but maybe praying is something you really want to understand better and you want to grow in your relationship with God. Why not try praying the Lord's Prayer every day? You don't know anything else to say. Why don't you pray this? Or maybe take it line by line. One day, take our Father in heaven. The next day, take your kingdom come. The next day, doesn't matter. Just start talking to your Father and know that He hears and He cares and He responds. And this is the last thing I want to draw our attention to is that Jesus doesn't simply teach us to pray like this. He himself is the answer to this prayer. There was a quote that we put up on the screen uh, for you from Wesley Hill where he says, Jesus embodies and enacts the prayer he taught his followers to pray. Think about it. This prayer is a portrait of Jesus Christ. He is the one who addressed God as Father. He's the eternal Son of God who lived in fellowship with Him forever and ever and for always and always. He is the one who sanctifies God's name. He is the one who announces and bears God's healing reign. He is the one who submits to the will of the Father, even to death on a cross. He is the one who gives His flesh as daily bread for the life of the world and for the meeting of our needs. He is the one who gives forgiveness of sins through his death and resurrection from the dead and enables us to begin to forgive others. He is the one who ultimately delivers us from sin, death, and the devil. Jesus is the answer to this prayer. And what that means is this. If you pray like this, you can expect to begin experiencing more of Jesus. Not just get more stuff, but to get him. Because he is the answer to this prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we are grateful for your love and your kindness and your faithfulness and your gentleness, your patience with us. And we pray that you would be at work in our hearts to draw us into the orbit of your purposes and plans. uh, To be excited about your name being made special uh, in our lives, in our world, in our families, in our hearts by your kingdom coming and your will being done. And we ask, Lord, boldly that you would give us what we need. You would meet us today in our loneliness, depression, exhaustion, in our cancer, in our fear, in our doubt, in all our anxieties. And that you would forgive us for the ways that we have ignored you or marginalized you or run from you and enable us to forgive those who've done that to us. And Lord, we ask that you would deliver us. You would deliver us from the fatalism that, that says we, there is no better future for us. But there is a glorious future. And we want to walk in faithfulness before you, knowing your love and be about your business until the day when your kingdom fully comes. So Lord, do your work in us now, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.